All right, welcome to the Star Wars Legends podcast, episode three, and it's just a quickie one with uh, Dylan and me. Yeah. So, no backstory on how we got into the EU or anything. I've already got one cat at my feet, so let's see if I can get the others to join and be a nuisance. Um, so, Dylan and I decide, well, actually, I said, hey, let's do this, and Dylan said, sure, why the fuck not? Uh, we we want you to ask us questions. So if you want to, I mean, I'm not forcing you to, but please do. It gives us some more content to put in these uh, podcasts. I mean, um, who said that? Anyway, so if you would like to uh, comment a question down below, we'll get to it in the next episode. Okay, Dylan, what do we have to talk about today? Well, I got something very interesting in the mail um, yesterday. It wasn't a mail order, Brian. No, you you both know how. <laughs> Don't you both know how that would go. <laughs> Don't tell the viewers about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you don't know anything about me. Um, I have been a very avid supporter of the letter writing campaign, which is, I guess, is one of the reasons why I now found myself running it. And this past let this past one we did was by far the most successful one we've had. We got a lot of we got a lot of people who were posting and said, "Hey, I sent my letter." We got a lot of people, a lot of pages helped support it, and I want to thank you all for that. But yesterday, I got this letter. I have it right here. It's from Disney Destinations, and I'm just like, what? Why is Disney Destinations sending me a letter? So I open it up, and it says, Dear Mr. My Last Name, Thank you for contacting us, contacting us at Walt Disney World Resort. We truly appreciate your passion and the time you took to share your feedback. Please be assured your feedback regarding the Star Wars franchise will be sent to the appropriate areas. Mr. My Last Name, thank you again for writing to us. Sincerely, sincerely, Ramey Stinson. And he actually took the time to write his name out and sign his name out in pen, it looks like. Oh, that's so thoughtful of him. Now, yeah. my question to you is, did Dylan write this or did John write this? John Tuttle did not write this, but I know that's not the John you're speaking to. <laughs> well... Uh, another time we discuss uh, Dylan, who Dylan really is. I'm Dylan, okay? Just because my Facebook name is under a different name than my own does not mean I have a multi-personality dis disorder or something like that. I have my reasons, damn it. Alright. Um, what's next, Dylan? On the... Well, it was actually pretty good timing that we got that because the next day to send letters is this Friday so there's so probably put a link in the description with the page and where you can do that but basically you basically you just send letters politely asking Disney and Lucasfilm you send two letters or we have two addresses to send one to Disney one to Lucasfilm for them to continue the expanded universe there's a stock letter available that um, some that um, one of the other pages um, Star Wars Real Canon wrote, helped us write, which is available if you don't, if you don't have the time to write your own letter. You know, it's stock letter. Just put in your name. There's a little 
few things you should put in for like just to personalize it, but other than that, it's all set to go. So you just print it out and mail it. And that's about it. About that. Good. Well, I'm trying. I'm starting to blank on what we want. What else we wanted to talk about? Dark um, Disciples came out. Oh yes. Yeah the the uh, so-called. I want to clear the air with this real quick because I've been getting a lot of this lately. Dark Disciples is a spin-off of essentially Clone Wars Lost Mission stuff. Which, for those of you who don't know, Dave Filoni's show, The Clone Wars, got canceled after Season 5, essentially when the EU got all thrown out. But they were in works for Season 6, and they released a couple unfinished, like six unfinished episodes, and they've been releasing stuff here and there. But now there's a book that's a spinoff of that that people are saying is double canon which I'd like to say it's not it's new canon not old canon and mm -hmm. so Dylan has and just because oh, oh go on Dylan just because Quinlan Voss is in it and Quinlan Voss is now a part of the canon that doesn't mean that all the Everything you know about Quinlan Voss, all the Dark Horse comics that came out, and everything else about him, that does not mean all that is canon. They've said this time and time again. When they put a character in from Legends into canon, that doesn't mean their entire backstory is canon. All that's canon is whatever they put him in. So that's another thing I've been hearing a lot, like, oh, this means Quinlan Voss is canon. Well, not the Quinlan Voss you knew. There is a Quinlan Voss in Disney's canon, and he's kind of similar but he's not the same guy. Yeah, and he was briefly in Clone Wars. It's just like how the Delta Squad showed up in Clone Wars, so they're canon. But that doesn't mean Republic Commando happened. Or any of Republic Commando happened. At all. The same with Darth Bane has a cameo in Clone Wars. So he's in the new canon, because Clone Wars is in the new canon. It doesn't mean the Darth Bane trilogy is new canon it's still legends so so I have numbers on this when it came out Dark Disciple which is written by Christy Golding uh, did a 17 on the New York Times bestseller list now it's not the main bestseller list it's the bestseller list for new hardback fiction which is enough to get it the little uh, New York Times bestseller um, little, I don't know, banner at the top, but it, but it, but not like, but just because it made that list, it's not like Air the Empire, which was on the main New York Times bestseller list for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, but a more ac accurate, or at least in my opinion, list because. They actually, unlike the New York Times where you have to dig a lot to find things, they actually keep they keep it open. Is the USA Today is the USA's Today top 150, where it did a 69 in its first week, and only lasted on the list for one week. It's kind of how all of these new canon books are only lasting one week. 
Now you may think, well, Chrissy Golding, you know, maybe it's maybe it's, you know, just her. Maybe she's not doing she's not doing the Star Wars books. She's only reading written three Star Wars books. Well, I took a look at that. Um, she wrote three books for the Fate of the Jedi series, the middle books, when Del Rey was doing that thing where they would have a nine-part series, but the authors would write every third book, which got so that there wasn't one author writing the entire series, and it got them out quicker, but it was a few enough authors that they that the story didn't drift too far out of whack. Yeah. Fate of the Jedi Omen did a 32 on the New York Times bestseller list and a 118 at second week, lasting two weeks. Fate of the Jedi Allies. I'm pausing because I'm actually looking it up right now. Uh, did a 53 on, on its first week and a 112 at second week, also lasted two weeks. And finally, her last book, uh, where is it? Fate of the Jedi Ascension did a 57 his first week and a 146 its second week. Barely making it in the second week, but still lasting more than two weeks. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, but, you know, more... Because I've heard a lot of this argument, too. Oh, you can't compare it to the old Star Wars books because... Because no no one reads anymore. Like people read more in, in like the nineties, so of course more people read like the Thrawn trilogy and that well again, this series came out in twenty eleven, only four years ago. Yeah, and this, sure, was, it, this was the last big event that happened in the in the Legends Canon. Now the maybe that post Jedi event. Like the the major with the original cast and maybe that contributed to why it did better but this is but this book that came out was supposed to be be the end the uh the kind of the last of the clone war stuff basically what they had written this is supposed to be okay now you've seen everything that we had planned uh so we're cool now right and in fact going into this i was thinking that there's a chance that the Save the Clone Wars people might try to push for this and get this going. Because even though the Save the Clone Wars movement, from what I've seen, is kind of dead. died as a kind of dead as a organized movement, there are still plenty of people who are using the Save the Clone Wars that I've seen. Save the I've seen Save the Clone Wars a lot recently, and but it seems like more of individuals just using the banner. But I thought that they would come out and try to promote this book as, oh, this is our Clone Wars book. Okay, let's promote this, and then let's promote this. Let's get this to sell well so they know they'll make more. But it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Well, Or it did happen, and they just completely failed at it. Well, I have a theory, and this is their whole marketing thing now. Delray's new marketing thing, um, as you remember... New Dawn did terribly when it came out. Tarkin did a little bit better. Air 129, Jedi, 123. Air the Jedi did significantly better, but then wasn't well received once people actually started reviewing it. It's by far the worst. It's considered the worst of the new canon. 
And then you have Wards of the Sith, which has so far done the best. Well, I was assuming that they were just getting they were just getting written better and better. Well, minus Era of the Jedi. Uh, just and then Dark Disciples was gonna outdo Lords of the Sith. Not true. So this brings my theory that people just don't really care. Like the people that they're gearing these books to, they don't care about anything unless it has main characters from the original trilogy. I guess they're trying to market these to purists. Which, for those of you who don't know, a purist is a, a fan of Star Wars who only likes the original trilogy and nothing else. Um, because, well, we'll get, we'll get into the next thing, the old Disney's weird-ass marketing campaign thing, but it's just... <clears throat> Just certain things just don't make sense, but I guess, well, this was proven with Dark Horse. If Darth Vader's on the cover, it's going to sell, no matter what. I mean, look at all the Darth Vader miniseries Dark Horse was throwing out there at the end there. And it's funny because the EU and Bantam especially get a lot of heat for, oh, too much Big Three, too much... Too much uh, rebellion. Too much like too much like new republic. Too much about new republic and that whole era. But <clears throat> here comes Disney. Like, oh, we're gonna change everything. And with the exception of Dark Disciple, all the all the books and comics too, because I don't have all been rebellion or new republic era, or are going to be new republic era. It's all. Re it's all the stuff that's been released now. It's all rebellion. It's, it's all rebellion. Aftermath is going to be the first like new republic. And, and then they get those young adult novels that are coming out at the same time as Aftermath, and that they're they're just waiting. They're just going to throw it all out there at once. And um, you know, it's just it's going to be way too much. I Canaan and a New Dawn. And Tarkin are the ones who you could say came in the Rise of the Empire era, before, right before the Rebellion era. But, you know, their whole timeline's different now. Uh, Battle of Yavin is not the starting point on the timeline anymore. The Phantom Menace. Really? Yeah. Uh, their whole thing is everything starts at Episode 1. That is the epicenter of everything happening, which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, I mean... With the Battle of Yavin, that was kind of that's a big deal and is talked about hundreds of years later in the um, the old EU. There's talk of when the the Rebel Alliance rose up and destroyed this super weapon that destroyed planets. That's a big deal. Things in the Phantom Menace are a big deal, but not for the event itself. The invasion, the uh, blockade of of uh, Naboo, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Yes, it led to other things. It led to Palpatine's rise to power, but that was which the is the biggest deal that happened to the Phantom Menace. If you're looking at the uh, the history of Star Wars, it's just oh, this is when Palpatine took over. Was when the Phantom Menace happened. Yeah, and well, and yes, that's a big deal, but compared to destroying this. Uh, super weapon 
that was destroying planets and the uh, Rebel Alliance actually becoming an, a genuine threat and the Civil War breaking loose, that's sort of a really, really big deal. Especially when you think, like, the Rebel Alliance before Yavin was mainly humans. Because, I mean, in the Empire, alien, the um, alien species were so, were so, like, downtrodden and looked down upon that they couldn't they, they couldn't do anything. It was, only the humans really had the access to the resources to start a rebellion. But as soon as that Death Star broke, they just didn't care. I mean, I think right after Yavin was when the Bothans joined, the Moncals joined, the Selicents, like, the big, pl the big players in the Rebel Alliance in the late days all joined right after the Battle of Yavin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, no, that's not the, the starting point anymore. Instead, yeah. a blockade of a planet that resources didn't affect most of the galaxy is the epicenter of a start of the of the timeline starting in Star Wars. Episode two makes more sense because that's when the Clone Wars started. Yeah, but uh, you know, no one likes <laughs> Episode two. You see, the thing is, it doesn't make any sense for them to start here because, sorry to get into a rant about the new canon, but there, it's, there's this mentality at Disney that they're anti-prequels, which is going to spawn me into the next topic that I thought of. Uh, at Comic-Con, um, they talked about, there was a video released about the making of Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens. And they're talking about how, oh, we use practical effects and also CGI. Basically, it was a big, they gave the little of this to George Lucas. And it was just, it was like, did we really need that? Did, did episode one need that? No, it didn't. None of the Star Wars movies needed that. They didn't need to say... Hey, we shot this this way. It's like they're just pandering to people who don't like George Lucas. And the funny thing is, Episode One used a lot of practical effects. I mean, <laughs> I've seen pictures. The uh, the uh, this the pod racing that whole stadium that was a miniature set. They had they had different colored Q-tips in the in these stands. That were all different colors, and they had a fan. I think it was either a fan or a hair dryer that they would move and blow back and forth, back and forth. So like the Q-tips would move, so it was like a crowd that was going through this, that was actually moving. They had the the um the landing on Naboo and the the big um, separatist. Oh, I'm forgetting what they're called. The separatist landing ships. That was a set on the hang on the uh, hangar when they were they were taking off. That was a set. That wasn't CG. That was a set. But everyone just thinks, oh, it's just it's just green screens and two people two people standing and talking. That's all the prequels are. Which, granted, that's what they ended up becoming. After yeah, that's... <laughs> they did become that. But as someone with some film background, as film school and stuff. Um, I, I always look at the Star Wars movies from a technical standpoint. And yes, the prequels are very fake, very CGI-driven. 
But you know, you know something else. I watched Return of the Jedi the other day, and not all of the practical effects in Return of the Jedi look good. There were a few things in Jabba's palace where I'm like, that just looks like a Muppet. That doesn't look real. I can't suspend my disbelief and say that's real. And I hate to bring this up, but uh, the Ewoks didn't exactly look believable. And now Matt's probably going to kill me for saying such a, a travesty. There are scenes I remember from the unspecialized editions where you could see the act, like, in the eye holes. You could see, like, the parts where, like, the the makeup wasn't right. So you could see, like, oh, yeah, there's definitely a little person. But you can, like, you can, like see their face, kind of, because the eye holes weren't right. Yeah, and, and we're getting the same thing in The Force Awakens. I mean, granted, there's some stuff that looks really good. There's some really good stuff in there. But with the good, there's some really bad puppets they've shown. They just don't... They look weird. They look fake. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that there's something. It's just someone in a suit or something. And granted, there are stuff that's still good, like BB-8, the little... Beach ball droid, uh, basically R two D two meets Dark Star. You know, um, that looks real. I can believe that's real. It looks nice, but you know, there's just weird things that don't look real. And for those of you people who think models are still going to be in Star Wars, please, <laughs> they will never do a, a spaceship battle with models it takes too long and people are too lazy to do things like that anymore instead they they, they, they do it on the computer which is fine it's fine to do that you know and um we've talked about this before in the previous but tartoski's clone wars yeah it's hand-drawn animation but a lot of the space battles were actually animated by computers not hand-drawn they would they would draw like some parts of it like they would draw backgrounds but the ships moving would be all animated but but they actually took the time and care to make it look like in the same style and make it look seamless which is why not a lot of people notice that in fact unless you really read the cop uh, listen to the audio commentary where they say that you probably couldn't tell mm -hmm. yeah. well this leads me to, I think, our final topic. Rebels had some sort of movie thing that we thought was the premiere to season two, but wasn't. And it didn't do well. Um, it did like what the first season Rebels has done, less than a million views. People don't like Rebels. People don't like Rebels because it's dumb. I, I, me being someone who has watched Rebels now, I admit it, Dylan, I'm sorry. I sunk to the lows that Filoni has taken us to. Um, I had to see this for myself. And ugh, three people in a TIE fighter? That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but you see, I, this is something that is very apparent with Disney 
now and their whole marketing they want the casual they want to market to the casual fans not the hardcore fans they they've thrown us out the window dylan do, do you feel thrown in the trash yeah and the walls are closing in and i'm just yell i'm just yelling um <laughs> close off the oh god i can't it's late i can't figure out i can't remember the quote <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're, in the, we're stuck I, in the I trash after and it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't get why they insist on doing this. Because you know, people, yes, kids watch things like Rebels and uh, Filoni's Clone Wars. But you know who really watches it? The hardcore fans do. That you know, they read all the books. They read the comic. Just grabbing something. You know, they they play the role-playing games here's what i honestly don't understand now it, this isn't just disney that's doing this every company does this there's a fact that the casual fans total when you put them all together spend more money than the hardcore fans but hardcore fans per capita spend more money i can honestly say this is this isn't even everything in my star wars collection but just this, with all the expansions that have come out that I have bought, I am almost certain that I spent more money on this alone, on Star Wars products, than about maybe 80% of, of people who call themselves Star Wars fans. And, and it's just... I'm the same way with all of this. All that back there. Yeah, hell, I've got... Action figures. I got Legos. I got micro machines, and those were a thing. I think I've spent the most money I've ever had on Star Wars merchandise and EU material. I think that's the most I've ever spent on any significant thing, even video games. Uh, the majority of the games I've played or well, that I've enjoyed are Star Wars. You know, I'm a Star Wars fan. I like everything. I'm a hardcore fan. Well, you see, this is your audience here, Disney. These, this is your, this is your clientele. And you know what you do? You, you alienate us. You throw the thing we love the most. Out of Star Wars, the expanded universe, universe, the thing that ties everything together, makes it you uh, makes Star Wars completely unique, and then you make this new canon that doesn't make any sense. That you're not, it has errors in it, like things that don't line up at all. And instead of fixing it or explaining some stuff, you just you don't bother. You're saying screw it. People won't notice. You know, cartoons it's, of kids, blah, 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 blah. I guarantee you, if they would have set, made a Star Wars movie and said, and said it connects to the, it connects to the old EU, you know, you know, it follows in that timeline, all these people who are pumped up for the movie, they'd still be pumped. Why? Because it's a Star Wars movie. They don't <laughs> care. I mean, just look at, just look at, even though it did bad, Jurassic World. That was not a reboot like everyone thought it would be. They reference the previous material, the previous Jurassic Park movies. 
They continued the story years after the events of Jurassic Park. Did anyone care? No. Was anyone just like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, well, how did that? How do we get from there to there? No, no one cared. They just watched the movie, and mm-hmm. we're getting really off topic now. Yeah, and let's give our reviews real quick of Jurassic World. Oh, this two is a... of, two out of five. It was bad. Really bad. It only gets two out of five because there were things I found funny bad. And it it, it kind of made fun of itself a lot of the time, so it was self-aware that it was getting bad at times. And there's some it, decent acting. It was like Mac Wilson said. It's a popcorn movie. If you completely turn off your brain and don't think about anything in the movie, it's a great movie. But as soon as you as soon as you start going, wait, what about no, you're done. It's yeah. I don't think it deserves a rating. <laughs> its rating would be lower than Rebels. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but back to my topic, so even <laughs> though even though Rebels had like Vader and Ahsoka in it, Ahsoka finds out that Vader's Anakin, she probably like says, Oh, Sky Guy or something. It did, like has like a cardiac arrest or something. I don't know. She's probably gonna train Luke Skywalker in the new canon. You know. The worst character in all of Star Wars. Worse than Jar Jar Binks, in my opinion. This is probably gonna be Luke's mentor. Helps him create the Jedi Order. We'll see her in Force Awakens. Along with um that uh, canon guy in Space Aladdin. Urza, that's his name. Oh, oh, Flynn Rider? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just... Eh. Eh. What do you give Rebels? Rebels? Yeah. I told the story. I've only seen the pilot because I was... Well, I was mildly curious. It was okay. You know? I remember during one of the commercial breaks, I went up to get some milk because I was thirsty. And I came back with my milk and I sat in the remote. And then the channel changed to C-SPAN. And I've got to tell you, C-SPAN at like 10 o'clock in the morning, or like 10 o'clock at night, wasn't, didn't look that bad after watching Rebels. <laughs> Don, what are you reading? <laughs> I am reading... Um, Edge of Victory 1, Conquest, New Jedi Order. What book is this in the New Jedi Order series? I think it's book 7. Okay, so you're about a third of the way through? Yeah, it's really disheartening because um, EU books in general, like the, in the main story, don't really have a protagonist. There's kind of like a few protagonists, but in this one so far, there's definitely is a protagonist, and I know what's going to happen in a few books with this protagonist, so it's a little bittersweet reading it. Mm. <laughs> what is Edge Victory book one about? Um, well, it's basically um, the Vong have found out where Yavin is. And there's this, um, there's this, there's this group called the Peace Brigade. If you haven't read New Jedi Order, it's basically people who are under the uh, the thought of, oh, if we just appease the Vong, 
if we just appease the Vong, you know, they'll go away. They'll leave us alone. They'll give us our chunk of the galaxy, and we can still live on. And after the events of the last book, the Vong have now put a hit on all Jedi. That they want all the Jedi to them, and they'll stop with whatever they have, which is obviously a lie. And that's not a spoiler because as soon as you read the first book, you'll realize that's completely a lie. So the Peace Brigade and the Yuzhen Vong find Yavin where all the Jedi trainees are, and since the uh, Jedi have been stretched thin, stretched thin trying to deal with the Yuzhen Vong, there's only, a f there's only a few masters left to protect all the kids. So it's basically one of, one of the, it's basically the protagonist going against Luke's orders to go to Yavin to, to try to help them out and get them off, get them off the planet, and get them safe. Okay. How are you liking it so far? I like it. Is this one of the better New Jedi Order books, in your opinion, or is this one of the not-so-good New Jedi Order books? Is there such a thing as a not-so-good New Jedi Order book for you? Well, this, this author I have not seen in many other Star Wars things. In fact, I don't think he, I don't have the book with me right now, so I don't know. Who is it? I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, I haven't seen him write a lot, and it's kind of evident because he does bring some stuff back, but he doesn't tie in nearly as much to the uh, old Bantam as um, as uh, Salvatore Lucino, Stackpole, and Kathy Tyrus did. <laughs> half of those wrote the Bantam stuff. <laughs> The other I probably just analyzed like James Lucino probably sits at his house all day. I'm pretty sure it, I'm and, pretty sure that was James Lucino's first expanded universe book. Probably he probably just sat there and outlined every book in detail and they like analyzed every every part of the book. Well all those authors were in like meetings for the main story of what was going to happen. So they were all in the know of what was gonna happen, what is set up and all that things before they even started writing. Yeah. But if you talk to the EU haters, no, they were all they were all loose cannons who did their own thing and didn't care about what George or anyone else thought. Yeah, and George never cared about the EU, you know. Yeah. That's why that's why he said a certain character had to die because he didn't want want people getting confused with another character. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so, any final thoughts on Enemy Lines, book one? Uh, Edge of Victory, book one. Um, Edge of Victory, my read... Enemy Lines is... Alston's. Alston's book, Edge of Victory. No, my... Enemy Lines is... Oh, shoot. It's someone's book. It's a New Jedi Order book. It's a New Jedi Order. You're getting them confused. There's 19 of them. Oh yeah, only nineteen. Oh, have you seen that? <laughs> have you seen this picture? By the way, I think I showed it to you. It's like a picture of someone's expanded universe shelf, which is basically like the size of a wall, and it's like two huge cells with all this thing. And the caption is just like, "Oh, you read all the Harry Potter books? Yeah, <laughs> that's <see> cute. That. <laughs> it's so great." <laughs> yeah. Um. So, of course, that shelf had comics on it, so it was kind of cheating. They weren't. Exactly, all books. Hey, comics are good reading. Have you re been reading any comics lately? 
And you, I've been trying to get through Invasion, but it's really difficult. Is it just bad? It's not bad. It's there's a eh, it's forgettable because there's like from what I can tell, there's not a lot that happens with it that actually deals with the New Jedi Order. Which now that I know that it was written after New Jedi Order had already concluded, yeah, it was written long time after. And I don't like how there's a character in a family that was that like they kind of that like they made the story about like okay fine you can make your own character but they shoehorned him in and like put him with the the solos and not just the solo kids but like their their friends who already have a history in the bantam in the bantam books together they kind of just shoehorn him in there and just be like oh yeah he's with them too now they don't but like it's too forced and they don't have that chemistry yet and you know the solos are dealing with something pretty big right now that like he has no part of saying because the the invasion books take place at the beginning of this whole conflict after they all they take place after vector prime and in between dark, the dark tide books if i'm not mistaken i'll have to look at the timeline but that seems just seems about right now this is actually a comic book series i haven't read i don't and i don't own uh, because it was not well received. Well, partly because people don't like the Vong, and partly because it was a little late and people were a little sick of the Vong at this time. I mean, it, by the time Invasion came out, a Legacy of the Force was wrapping up and we were getting into Fate of the Jedi, as I recall. Now, the Legacy comic series had the Vong in it, but people didn't mind that. Because they were briefly in it. Didn't have a big. They didn't really have a hand to play too much. They just kind of got, and I thought that was a little. I'm like, okay, I guess the Vong are in this for some reason. I thought it was nice to you know find out like oh, hundred years later, you know what happened to them, because mm -hmm. you know they'd still be around and there'd still be a little, little resentment. But it was nice to see the progress that. This is kind of. A spoiler that um oh what's his name sin um when a cage crew like was like a vong like could speak the vong language and can wield an ambistaff i thought that was like oh that's a nice touch they progressed to the point where like vong technology is acceptable um, well they use the vong little probe tracker things little bug things mm -hmm. and legacy as well thud bugs yeah, they use thud bugs in Legacy. Cade's mom uses them, as I recall. Spoiler. Oh, like you don't know who Cade's mom is, so yeah, yeah. obviously Cade has a mom, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not think. I guess. He isn't. He isn't Anakin, who is just like born of the Force, which would He's... be really weird if it was. Don't need another space Jesus. But yeah, uh, um. I haven't been reading really anything. Not gonna lie. Didn't you uh, read Dark Disciple for that um review you're gonna do? Oh well that's not Star Wars. Okay. Alright. That's Dragonlance. So spoilers guys, that's what I'm gonna be reviewing this weekend. The review turned out really terrible, so I have to reshoot it. Well, 
and I choke on my own air. Mm-hmm. It happens sometimes when you, you you remember that how shitty you can make videos sometimes. But uh, I've been reading Truce of Pecora very slowly. And very interesting. Uh, getting to, you know, they're starting the, the diplomatic shit with the Imperial Council on Bakura. I think it's considered the Imperial. It's not the Moff Council. It's just their little Senate thing they have on that planet. And the Sissy Ruvi are really weird. I think I said this every episode of the podcast. They're so strange. Have you have you looked them up by the way on Wikipedia what they look like? Oh, I knew what they looked like going into this. Because they had pictures of them in Star Wars Insider. Because mm. as I recall, they have a they're briefly there's like one briefly involved in New Jedi Order. Yeah, I think they bring it in. I haven't gone to that part yet. Yeah, that's why I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say what was going on. Yeah, At there's... this point, I'm, I'm assuming everything from Bantam, with the exception of Waru, is going to find its way to New Jedi Order somewhere. Of the gelatinous cube? Yeah. That's... <laughs> uh, they even referenced the Eye of Palpatine, like another one in New Jedi Order. At some point, they even referenced that Leia fought a hut in that book that, like, I struggled to get through, and I can't uh, remember anything other than Leia fought a hut in that one. Oh, and well, that's the one where Luke a Jedi hut, by the way, a dark Jedi hut. Yes. Yeah. Very weird. And the, Luke couldn't use the Force because. <laughs> yeah, Luke couldn't use the Force because it would someone get struck by lightning. You see, it got to a point in Bantam where they just didn't they didn't know how to write Luke and his Jedi powers as he grew in the Force. So they, most writers came up with some stupid kryptonite thing. It's much like how in the 90s they didn't figure they couldn't figure out ways to make Superman weak. So they just come up with stupid things like, "Oh, Superman can't fight people that are magic." So they invented all these magic villains to fight Superman. And it's the same thing they did with Luke. And eventually, you know, Bansom lost rights and Delray took over. Which they kind of neutered Luke pretty well in New Jedi Order. Made it believable because he's kind of more of a pacifist in this. But mm-hmm. from what I've read, by the time it gets to Darkness, you know, Grandmaster Luke has arrived and there's no... There's no um, weakening him at that point. Mm-hmm. At least until he becomes one with the Force. And they, they really shouldn't. Um, Luke's powerful. I mean, his father was essentially... Well, have, have we talked about this on here? I the, think we have. We keep alluding to it. Well, we talked about it on Minox once, I think. I'm sure they're probably wondering what the hell we're talking about, so let's just talk about this now. We might have talked about it on here. We'll just touch on it briefly. So in the book Darth Plagueis, which is my <laughs> favorite EU book ever, it may be one of my favorite books ever. It's just so well written. There is a force experiment that happens, and yeah, we talked about this in great length in the um, 
whatever podcast we talked about this on. episode of this. Uh, where Pelagius and Sidious do this force experiment, which I don't even remember exactly why they did it, except for the end game was uh, Pelagius wanted to be immortal. He, was, he had a really fear of dying sort of thing. And after bringing a certain character back to life and killing him over and over and over and over again for like a period of years, they just, they did this force experiment and the force rippled back. And that is, um, that is thought to be why Anakin was born. And essentially after that, that's, that ex this is the whole excuse of why all the Skywalkers are getting really, really, really powerful. Uh, at least that's what I've come to a uh, conclusion because Cage eventually is the ultimate gray Jedi. He masters both the light and the dark. So it would make sense that that would be the reason. Which for the longest time until I read it in that book, I didn't believe that. I thought... That's too out there, but then you, you learn about the gelatinous cube that Luke fights in the Crystal Star. And he doesn't even fight it. He just jumps in. No, I think he jumps into it, and then oh, someone jumps into it to save him because he gets, like, enthralled by it. I don't know. They should have made an action figure of it. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a good Star Trek novel. <laughs> It is a very good Star Trek novel. It's got that whole motion picture vibe to it. But it's not a good Star Wars novel. Yeah, it went, it went way too much. Because it's by a star, very famous Star Trek author. Or a very well-known Star Trek author. And you may be saying, oh, that's that's just... Uh, because you write Star Trek, doesn't you, know, you can write Star Wars, too. Yeah, some people did it. A.C. Crispin, who wrote the Han Solo trilogy was, you probably know her better, she's probably known better for her Star Trek novels, but she wrote a great series, but A.C. Crispin uh, at least understood that Star Wars and Star Trek have two different writing styles. There's two different ways to tell the story. Star Trek likes to be more mystical. Well, mystical. To me, Star Trek is science it's more fiction. It's very fiction-based. It's based in fact. Except for the TNG movies and the J.J. Abrams movies all ruined that. But up until that point, Star Trek is based in fact. Each episode is based in logic that, hey, this is possible to happen. Star Wars is fantasy. It, it's very it's, it's space fantasy. Essentially, you don't really, it doesn't matter how the hyperdrive works and how light speed works. It, it's just to, to get to from point A to point B. Whereas a lot of times the warp core in Star Trek is a key factor in episodes. So you need to understand how the warp core works or you learn how the warp core works. You learn how the technology works. And so that's why the two of them are different. Where in Star Wars, you just learn the limitations of the technology. Mm -hmm. It's not all of the possibilities that come from it. Well, Star Trek's whole thing is everything's 
it's based in fact. In fact, they used to get all the stuff from NASA, but, you know, they stopped doing that for the movies because, you know, people, dumb people watch movies, you know. Casuals watch movies. Well, diehards watch movies, too, but they know the deeper meaning behind the movies, especially with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Filthy casuals. Hey, let's not let's not bash casuals here. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, people. Even though a lot of my fan base is casuals, technically. I just <laughs> wanted to say that because you know, you're take back to my days on a different podcast when when things were said that are, were just so horrible that they had yeah, to be. At least that podcast was pre-recorded, so we could actually cut that stuff out. <laughs> Yeah, I I said we used to say so so many things on there. That's things not, are still said on there on that podcast. And they don't edit it out anymore. They don't have me, the cleaning crew. That's not start a YouTube war. Hey, uh, yeah, who's that JMA guy? You know. Yeah. I heard that guy's an asshole. Anyway, oh. so oh. What? Do you think this is completely random? I just thought of it. Do you think Filoni could ever write an EU book? Well, it'd be a special EU book. It it'd be uh, it'd be an art book, I think. Like just just picture book. Like yeah. For... Yeah, like a uh, a book on the covers. He he he's very well versed in all of the the book covers. But you know, it'd have to be a pop-up book, so that so that he could make a move. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, he likes pictures, especially when they move. Mm-hmm. Anyway, guys, Jeremy <laughs> and Dylan, we're signing off, and we like those pictures, especially when they move. And that cover spoke to me, right there, right there. <laughs> Hey, good night, guys. Good night, one to two viewers that watch this live. I'm sorry, as usual. <laughs> have a nice day, and remember, if you have questions for us, leave them down below, and we'll answer them in the next episode, which will be one to two weeks away. And write those letters. The link will be down below once this is posted. So have a nice day. Have a good night, everyone, and may the force be with you and all that good shit. <laughs>